Coming up, a conversation with Tom Strand, candidate for Colorado Springs mayor. This is 6035 Media. Casting an informed vote is your right and your duty as a citizen. I'm Brian Grossman, executive editor at 6035. And I'm Shelley Rohr, spokesperson for the League of Women Voters at the Pikes Peak region. We're teaming up to bring you conversations with the candidates in the April 2023 Colorado Springs City election. So this interview is both an episode of the new 6035 Vote podcast. And the League's Making Democracy Work podcast. So let's get to it. So Tom, why don't you give us, um, thank you for being here today. You're why don't welcome. you give um, our listeners, if you people who have never been here or new to the area or don't know anything about you, tell us a little bit about yourself. I'll try and give you the, the you know, the elevator speech. Uh, Tom Strand got here in the 70s at Pete Field, uh, had a 30-year career as a JAG in the Air Force. I was a lawyer in the Air Force, starting at Peterson Air Force Base, and then went around the world, uh, came back here in 2004 and retired and got involved with District 11 School Board, and I was elected to the District 11 School Board and served about five years, one appointment and, and one four-year term. And I was the president of the District 11 School Board when it was the largest district on the Front Range. Uh, in 2015, I ran for city council because I really thought that the relationship between the executive and legislative branches could be improved. And uh, the big thing back then was uh, a collaborative relationship uh, with uh, the uh, the mayor and the nine city council members. And at that time, uh, Mayor Southers was elected to his first uh, term. And then I was reelected in 2019. I'm an at-large city council member covering the 200 square miles of Colorado Springs. I live in Old Colorado City, which is the third district. I think that's pretty close to where we are here. And so I was reelected in 2019. Uh, I have served on all four leadership positions in the uh, board of directors for utilities. I was the vice chair uh, and the chair in 2015 and 2017 of utilities, and we're now selecting a new CEO for utilities that we're going to pick, I think, in about two weeks. I then became the uh, pro tem uh, at city council in 2019, and I'm now the president of the city council uh, going forward, finishing up my eight years, and so I'll be term limited in April. Thank you. It was a good elevator that, elevator pitch. Yep. Tell you, tell you a little bit about it. It does. Yes, sir. Oh, Thank that was you. perfect. So, Tom, I'll, uh, I'll get you your first specific question. Uh, this is development and water-related. What's your stand on the 120 – and you were involved with this as a city councilor. I am. Uh, what's your stand on the 128% water rule uh, and for extending water and other utilities to flagpole annex developments? Okay, two separate questions. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, uh, I, I really think what we ought to do with the water ordinance uh, is delay it. Uh, not I, I voted for the 128 because we couldn't get 120 or 125. I think that even our experts at CSU, and I have the highest respect for our water experts that work this issue, I think they're being very conservative, you know, with the amount of water that we need in terms of surplus. A lot of us thought in uh, 2015 and 16 when we opened up the southern delivery system that it would provide all the water we needed forever. Uh, what it provides is access. It doesn't provide the water. And I think we need a study, uh, an in-depth study, and maybe with a, a consultant, uh, ex- you know, uh, outside of, of the CSU uh, experts. And so uh, this is going to come to council on the 14th, uh, which is next Tuesday. And uh, I am going to hope that we can delay any further action 
on a water ordinance until September when we will have four new council members and a new mayor. And so uh, that's my hope on that. In terms of annexations, mm-hmm. uh, I, flagpole annexations sort of have a nasty term because they're not close by. You know, uh, this particular one, Amara, mm-hmm. is much closer to the area that involves uh, a fountain mm-hmm. uh, than it does to us. It's just close to a couple of our, our highways. Mm-hmm. And that's the flagpole piece. What I'm interested in, Brian, is providing housing. And I think this project and some other ones can provide housing that we desperately need. Hopefully, it will be affordable. If it's not affordable, it will provide houses when people kind of move up to this level. Uh, and so I, th- I think we need annexations and more property other than, you know, just the, uh, 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 you know, the, the areas that we've got within our city at this time. Okay. Thank you, Tom. Yep. Shelley? An, another kind of question regarding um, water. It's a it's a big one, and it's also two prong. Yep. We waste a lot of water with regards to about seventy eight percent of our water usage is for landscaping, right? Yes. Curb appeal. And as a realtor, I get curb appeal. I get it, um, but I do not get um, you know resorts wasting water, and it just runs for hours and hours, and it takes hours and hours to fix a maintenance problem that. You know, um, I'm talking about one on the west side that I know of in particular. And then our our golf courses, right, take a lot of water. And, um, you know, Kentucky bluegrass, if I've got a neighbor who plants Kentucky bluegrass because it looks good and it's beautiful, it's a lot of water. Now, they're paying for that water. I get that. But how can we be a little bit smarter and do better, better guidelines with regards to that water usage? And then um, should the city consider extending water? And this is based on um, being a regional water provider. We've got some areas, you know, that are um, not necessarily in the city, um, I'm sorry, that are located outside the city that might not ever even be annexed. But they, you know, what does that look like for us as being a regional water provider in that instance? Shelley, we in 2017 uh, did a a long-term study on water. Um, and uh, we studied this when, when I was chair of the utilities board. And at that time, that study, uh, which we did, that plan, uh, which is now coming up on six years old, showed that we had enough water going forward for decades and that we were in great shape. I think that study probably was a little flawed and needs to be redone, but clearly water is our most important resource here. You know, our utilities is a for-service resource, and for a municipally-owned utility, having gas, electric, wastewater, and water is very unusual, and we've been very successful with it. I think uh, we we have to be uh, guardians of this water. I appreciate your comment about Kentucky bluegrass. Uh, It it is not the kind of, of... you know, grass or vegetation that really is suited to this area. We've got other grasses, and up at the utility center up on the Mesa, they have a center up there that you can Beautiful. go and yeah. And I it's, live just a couple blocks away. I well, love going there. Well, it's a terrific there. place for <laughs> all is. of our citizens to go up there. You get free things there, by the way, just for an FYI. They give you a free uh, low flow sh- shower head. Yeah. Um, so it's pretty awesome. And, but. and they've got different you know examples of what we can do with indigenous grasses and vegetation for the outside. Mm-hmm. And you're absolutely right. Once we get into April through September, that's when most people spend mo- most of their money on in utilities is on their water bill. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Especially if they're watering, uh, we do have limitations. Three times a week you can water, mm-hmm. uh, but I think people abuse that. Uh, we have, with the population growing to almost a half million people in, you know, say the last 10 years, 
Uh, we've got, got a situation where we've really done well with our conservation of water, whether it's special toilets that don't use much water or showers that use less water uh, or bathtubs that use less water or hot tubs that use less water. I think we've done a terrific job with that. But it is something that we constantly have to be on guard for. And as the Board of Directors for Utilities, I used to spend probably a third of my time on water issues, both, you know, water and wastewater issues. So I think it's something we have to be very sensitive to. Um, I think uh, this ordinance that we talked about earlier, water ordinance, uh, was really in lieu of a, a put, you know, a, a um, at least a project or a, or a pr- proposal that we'd put a ballot issue on the ballot for people to vote on. I think if we did have a ballot issue about water, I think most people would vote in favor of it because it's sort of they're here now and they want to protect their future and their children's future here as opposed to new people moving into the area that they don't feel that much loyalty to. So I'm glad that this is not going to a ballot. I think the mayor got very involved with that, and that's why the ordinance has come before both the Board of uh, Directors for Utilities and now City Council. Okay. Um, so the specific uh, in question, 2017 plan, did your study recognize the increase in our population growth? It did. At that time? So it recognized that you were going to be growing at a certain rate. It did. Okay. Um, and and just a, a question from the League of Women Voters to not put something on the ballot. That's a whole other conversation for another day. So okay. We'll just get to back to that. But, Fine. Um, yeah, I'm good. Thanks. Okay. Fine. Water, though, is kind of our gold. And, and, and we have to treat it that way. And everything that we use it for, we have to consider uh, conservation. Thank you, sir. Yep. So moving away from water, okay. uh, where do you stand on accessory dwelling units being allowed in single-family residential areas? I voted for accessory dwelling units, uh, you know, when it came up because, again, I think it provides, you know, housing that's desperately needed. Mm-hmm. Uh, from my perspective, it was sort of the mother-in-law suite kind of concept, you know, where you'd have a family member that would be in the accessory dwelling unit. Uh, we did put limitations on you know, how many we could have in a particular area, but but I, I think they're necessary. And I think for infill in our community, and I live in Old Colorado City, mm-hmm. which is, you know, got lots of houses in there and they're pretty close together. Uh, I just I'm in favor of those. And I think as long as they are managed properly uh, through our city clerk's office that, uh, you know, we need to continue them. Mm -hmm. You mentioned the mother-in-law sort of scenario. You're also okay with commercial use for those sorts of accessory dwelling units. I am. Yeah, I am. Okay. Thanks. Easy enough. Shall we? Yes, sir. Uh, So also along the lines of housing, right? We have um, affordable housing um, attainability issue, <laughs> right? It's not just about being a crisis. It's some for it's just not attainable. And again, as a realtor, I see that every day. Yeah. Uh, you know, we got townhouses that are two hundred and ninety thousand dollars. That's a lot of money yeah. for you know twenty five year old people who want to own a home, or even fifty year old people who want to own a home in some instances. So. How can the city address or what can the city do to address those, those that affordable housing? Because you just said a few minutes ago whether or not some of them are going to be affordable housing or not. That's not solving our problem. No, it's not. And, and I think Mayor Southerns has done a good job in having a 2,000-unit uh, kind of goal 
that he wants 2,000 units annually of affordable housing that Steve Posey, who works for the city, has been working on and getting uh, federal grants and aid that we get for these. I, I think we've got to continue. I'm on the regional building department as their chair. Uh, and so I work with, you know, uh, not only the regional building department, but HBA, Housing and, and Building Association. We have got to come up with more ways to incentivize um, housing that is affordable. And since we've gone to attainable, you know, I think it's kind of a, uh, you know, a, a mixed use of words because the difference between attain and affordable is confusing to me. Uh, most young people and even some seniors that, you know, are making less than $40,000 a year, and even if you have two people in a household making that amount, they cannot afford a single-family home. They might be able to afford, you know, a duplex that you mentioned. But, you know, I, I think this is, you know, after public safety, and I know we'll talk about public safety because that's, that's my prime area that my uh, candidacy is about this time, um, affordable housing is right up there with what we have to do to incentivize builders and developers. Maybe we have to go back and look at tiny homes again, that we had some conversation about tiny homes. Um, you know, having a 3,000, 4,000 square foot home to me is excessive. Um, I live in a 2,100 square foot home in Old Colorado City that I bought for less than $300,000 uh, in, tw- in 2005. I've just added an addition to it and done some remodeling and some new bathrooms and spent $300,000 on that, <laughs> you know, in terms of the remodeling. So I'm very sensitive to the cost for plumbing, electric, uh, and, and framing and everything we have to do. But to, to me, uh, the mayor's got to be every day wake up and think about affordable housing for our people. Not attainable, affordable. Thank you. You're going to love this because this is a public safety question. Great. So, yeah, right. <laughs> uh, police ranks are, we've seen figures, 50 to 70 officers below authorized strength. Crimes on the rise. Traffic crashes are on the rise. What, what do you propose we do about public safety? Public safety, you know, is my number one goal in terms of running for mayor. I want to make Colorado Springs the safest city in America. Mm-hmm. It is not. Uh, it currently, last year in 2022, we had roughly between 20, 54 and 57 homicides. Mm-hmm. When I got here in the 70s at Pete Field, before Space Command was here, 10 homicides was considered alarming. Mm. And now we're five times that number. Um, also probably five times the population. But You, you know, it's, <laughs> it may be three times the population, mm-hmm. but I think that's a, that's a bad ki- kind of analysis to mm-hmm. say, well, we have more people, so we have more bad people. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of these are domestic relations issues that go on. Um, we on our highways here had 54 deaths on our highways, both pedestrian and traffic deaths. Mm-hmm. Here's what we got to do. We currently, and, and the numbers change on a week-to-week, month-to-month basis, but w- with sworn police officers, we've got about 750 sworn police officers. We need today 850. You know, the mayor has worked that very hard, but the problem is we've got to start in middle school and high school and work with parents to encourage them to want their daughters and sons to become police officers because that's not the case today. 
you know, after the Memphis situation that we've seen and they just keep popping up, uh, you know, the parents and grandparents are just blinking their eyes and saying, go into IT, Tom, yeah. you know, go go into, you know, the media, but don't be a police officer. We've got to encourage in our middle and high schools that this is a profession that is honorable and it is necessary. Um, we currently have an ongoing police academy that is going on. You know, we bring in, you know, maybe 60 uh, police officers into that academy. And by the time we graduate them, we're down to the low 40s mm -hmm. that people have found out this is not for them. I think we've got to go out and we've got to recruit police officers from other cities. I mean, we're a beautiful place here. We can bring in people from lots of other cities that I think, you know, would love to come here who are already trained. I would love to set up, you know, with one of our colleges and universities, a police college, not an academy, so that it'd be a two-year program that they would go through, get an associate's degree. I go to every single retirement and promotion at CSPD and CSFD. You can ask all the other candidates if they do that. I've done that for eight years. I'm on my third police chief and my third fire chief. I know them all. I know all the commanders. It is my number one goal is to make people when they go into, say, parking garages. A lot of women that go into parking garages feel, especially at night, they, they feel a little vulnerable. People going into ATMs feel vulnerable. People walking their dogs at night feel vulnerable. We've got to change that. And we've got to go back to the program that we had where we've got a neighborhood watch and really strengthen that neighborhood watch program. So it's my, my number one priority is public safety and, uh, and, and I will work that every day. Do you see the city playing a role in that outreach to middle schools and high schools? Is Absolutely. That, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, you know, I mentioned earlier, you know, being involved with District 11, when I was with District 11, it had 32,000 students. They're now down to about 26,000 students. Mm -hmm. But it's all of the districts, you know, and holding hands with them, not dictating to them from, from city government, but working with them, you know, so that we can help, I think, steer many of the students. And, you know, in another area, we're doing that in construction. Mm -hmm. You know, when I was on District 11, I talked to parents about their children becoming electricians and plumbers, and they'd say, well, Tom, my son's going to be a doctor mm -hmm. and an engineer and an IT specialist. I don't want him to be in the trades. That's changed. Mm -hmm. You know, from 2006 and 2007, that's changed. We have to do the same with public safety, both for police, fire, and with emergency management. Mm -hmm. uh, we now have a, you know, a, a combined office of emergency management with the city and the county. So those three areas are ones that I spend a lot of time on now, and I'll spend more time as a mayor. Okay. Thanks. Shelley? Yes, sir. Um, as a neighborhood watch captain myself, one of the very first things I probably did was kind of take over for um, the neighborhood watch person because it got me to know my neighbors. And um, I, I'm not originally from here. We moved here because you're right. We, it was beautiful. Um, and I guess a couple things with you're regards. You're not from Cleveland originally, are you? No, <laughs> central Illinois. Okay. Um, Midwesterner through via South Carolina. And then, you know, I met my husband in the military. So we um, – had the opportunity to be able to move and, and afford and, and come to this place. Um, but also the, I am the child of a police officer in very, very small town, USA, and um, also a volunteer firefighter. Wow. So I see a lot of um, that part of it, 
But one thing you did mention, I'm going to invite you to the league's event coming up next month. Domestic violence is one of those hard calls that police officers get that put them in a very precarious situation in many, many instances. Right. Um, So when we talk about, you know, me walking downtown and feeling vulnerable, that's not it. It's the situation where... You know, you put yourself in where you can hear somebody yelling at somebody else next door and, you know, there's a problem yeah. that we have. And and that's a whole other conversation. But I'm going to invite you to um, – the league is having one of our community conversations next month. Great. We're trying to get the um, El Paso County Sheriff. We, we would love to have you on that panel to discuss it just to say, you know, this is a problem and we probably should be – the, the police need to, they need some assistance. And, and Shelly, I, I got to just, and I'll do this real quickly. Uh, since I've been on city council, I, I've had a constituent uh, threaten me uh, because I told him not to use vulgar and foul language in chambers. And he has sent me multiple letters threatening me. So I went to file as a male, a protection order against this individual. I was lined up with about maybe a half dozen to, to a 10 females who were already battered. Yeah, that process does not take care of victims. It, it took me six months to get a permanent protection order, and I'm a lawyer. And I know how to fill out the paperwork, and I know how to go in front of the magistrates and argue. The people that I saw that give up doing that are the women that are beaten and battered because they don't feel they have any choice. And going through that process is grueling. And so whatever happens with this mayoral election, you know, they're going to kick me out of the, you know, the uh, city hall no matter what because of the eight years. I want to get involved with domestic relations issues. We, we need to have more social workers, you know, with our police officers, and I can talk about that when, when we get to your event. That'd be great. Thank yep. you, sir. Um, so my question is um, the police also deal with another issue that they really don't have a lot of expertise in, and it's our homeless issue. A lot of calls that they deal with and go on, they have to – it's just part of the process. So how do you um, address – how can we do better with regards to our homeless issues? You know, every, it's fe- every February so we do this point-in-time count. And, and when I came on in 2015, we did the point-in-time count that year. And we had roughly 1,800 to 2,000 homeless. Last year's point-in-time count, we had 1,400 homeless. I don't believe that point-in-count. You drive around this city and you look under the bridges and you look near the waterways where we've got an ordinance that they can't camp near ordinance. And our hot team, our homeless outreach team, and we've got two of them with the police, we don't have enough of them, and, and we have a huge problem with our homeless population. There are three groups in there that I want to focus on. One are families. You know, either single moms or single dads with children, we need to take care of them. And we need to, you know, the Marion House works with them and and really tries. The second group, uh, you know, are males primarily, and they either have behavior and mental health problems and or uh, substance abuse problems with either alcohol or drugs. I know we can help that group too, but we've got to get to them and we've got to wrap around services. Our Mount Carmel works with veterans, you know, that are in that category. There is a third group of people, mostly young males, that just don't want any control over their lives. They want to live free, and many of them are criminals. And I think we have to have a more focused effort on these people who are stealing, who are beating each other up, uh, who are killing, you know, other homeless people. Uh, And we've got to focus our attention on that with our hot team. So it's another area that I'm very involved with the current we're, we're now on our second person that is in charge of sort of the city homeless operation 
that person does not work directly for the mayor, and they should. They should work directly for the mayor, not the chief of staff, you know, or not, you know, one of the other directors. So that's how I would change that. And uh, I would have more than just a February count. Uh, working with Springs Rescue Mission, uh, I'm, I'm on their board. And, uh, you know, that's an area that, you know, obviously deals with homeless that want to get out, you know, from under that, that burden. Thank you. Yep. Appreciate it, uh, Running up on our time limit, so probably just a couple more questions. Um, Tom, if you are elected mayor, do you foresee having to ask voters for any fee or tax increases? I don't. New fees or tax increases? You know, I, I don't. And, and people say, well, how are you going to come up with this money for more, you more know, police? police and, yeah, and, yeah. and we need more firefighters, mm-hmm, too. Mm-hmm. About 80% of all the firefighter calls are not for structural fires. Mm-hmm. They're for health issues, heart attacks that Tom has had. Um, <laughs> I, 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 I know we can work a lot harder in grants in police and fire, both in state and federal. Uh, We've got grant writers in there, but we can do better with that. I think we can work a public-private partnership in our community so that we have, you know, businesses, and we've just brought in two or three huge businesses through the chamber. So I think we can have public-private partnerships for money. And here's where I think we we can also get funding. When I came on council, the general budget in 2015 was about $280 million a year. Mm -hmm. In 2023, it's $420 million a year. Back in 15, we had a 14% reserve, 14% of that 280. Today, we have a 20% reserve, and God bless the mayor. Of the 400. Of the 420. Right. And God bless the mayor for doing that in case we need it for a recession or Mm -hmm. something. I want to take money out of that account because we need it today, not tomorrow. Mm -hmm. I'm less worried about tomorrow than I am today, and I think we can pull 2 to $3 million out of that account every single year, at least the four years if I get elected mayor, I will do that. And take it down to 14 or 15% reserve, but take care of our public safety and our people today. Okay. What about infrastructure? You know, that was 2C and 2C2, you know, were were huge issues. And our stormwater issue was a huge issue that we had to do. Mm -hmm. Hats off to Mayor Southers and his team for doing that. But I was a big fan of 2C. Our roads, our, our, you know, uh, our, our curbs and gutters. Uh, we're putting about 50 to $60 million a year through 2C, that extra sales tax. Mm-hmm. The mayor backed that off a little bit for 2C, too. I'm not sure I would have. You know, people were kind of used to paying that sales tax. Um, we, we're, we've done terrific in that. What we haven't done terrific is, is sidewalks. Mm-hmm. If you go around some of the old parts of our community, old Colorado City, the old North End, sidewalks are terrible. You've got people in wheelchairs and walkers in the street because we haven't fixed those sidewalks. But the infrastructure is something you can't let go, and you can't take off your, you know, your your uh, your video screen or or, or your uh, attention. And so it's extremely important, but not as important as public safety. Okay. All right, John. Speaking of sidewalks, I've got one that has been in my neighborhood that's been on the list to be fixed over three years now, and they they my. Literally, my neighbors were told, "Well, if you pay for it, um, we can. We'll do it. We'll, we'll do. We'll, and they'll we'll even fix partner it. with you if you pay fifty percent of it. And that's not uh, good for works. those that are not it, economically able to do it. So, just I, a little bit of um, biasness and, with and regards to literally that, your city that are in pop the tree policy laws. right now. We, we've got trees that are waiting three and four years in order to be trimmed so that they don't fall during a windstorm. Right. We're about yeah. We're three years behind. So. Yep. Um, 
I have two questions. Okay. These are league questions, kind of, I guess. They deal with things that we deal with. Um, one is your thing, something that you deal with. But specifically, what are your thoughts on raising city, raising city council pay to a reasonable <laughs> amount that's inclusive of others who don't have the ability to do this as their only job, like a retiree? That's our first question. And then um, what are your thoughts on moving spring municipal elections to the fall that would mainly help increase voter turnout? Um, during those possibly, you know, uh, fall school elections and save the city $600,000 a year? First of all, I want to deal with, uh, you know, the issue about council pay, $6,250 a year. Uh, we have a, a, a budget, too, in terms of our expenses that's now up to $4,000 a year for lunches, dinners, travel, you know, uh, going to Washington with the chamber, things of that nature. Uh, I haven't been able to use that this year because as president of council, I just can't leave town very often. But uh, I know that Mr. Uh, uh, Helms, who's the president pro tem now, uh, Randy Helms, is going to work really hard on pay for council members. And uh, there's been a couple of times it's been on the ballot, and it has failed miserably. Like 80% of the people vote against it because they say, hey, if I can get Tom to work for $6,000, why should I pay him any more? Uh, most council members put in at least 40 hours a week. Um, if, if you compare us with the county commissioners, it's almost laughable, you know, in mm -hmm. terms of the compensation. I think it's critical to get people in their 30s and 40s, you know, involved with uh, city council. Uh, when I ran in 2019, there were a number of younger people that ran, but I don't think it attracted the right younger people. So I, I'm, I'm totally in favor of that. I think we have to change that. I would start at about a $50,000 amount for council members. I think that's a good area to kind of start at and go forward. Uh, in terms of the election period, there's a lot to be said about April elections in settling it. I'm still fatigued from the last November election that we had where everybody either at the federal or state level, you know, got so involved. You saw all of these commercials one after the other that were coming on television about different candidates. And so I'm reluctant to want to jump into a November election because it takes the focus off the city and, and we're blended then with the state and the federal level. And I think that could be problematic. That's why I mentioned the fall school elections. You're not blended. It's an off election year. Shelley, I would be willing to take a look at that. And, and I've read studies about it that the number of people, we roughly have 320,000 registered voters in our 200 square miles. About half of those will participate in this April election, maybe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, that's a good positive aspect. Um, but then it could also have save the city $600,000 a year. I think it's, but, I think it's worth looking at. Uh, kind of like rank, rank choice voting is probably an, an issue that's worth looking at uh, so that you don't I have runoffs. I hope you're still looking at that after the last District 3 that we talked about. But, um, yeah. yeah, all good. Thank you, sir. Appreciate your time. You're welcome. Are uh, we Tom, done? We're, yeah, we're just about out of time. You want to take about two minutes and wrap things up? Let us know why we should vote for you. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll take the last part. Uh, you know, roughly, I, at least I get this from the city uh, uh, city clerk, the average age in Colorado Springs now is 34 years of age, which is kind of incredible because all of my friends are a lot older than that. And a lot of my friends who moved here are kind of disgusted with the fact that they think we've let our building and development get out of whack. We haven't controlled it and managed it the way we should. As you go out on, uh, you know, whether it's on uh, any of the roads that are going east, uh, it looks like uh, – you know, rooftops everywhere. So I think we have to have controlled development, but we've got to look at all elements of our community. 
you know, the youth, the, the kids in school, what we can do to help them with more programs. Uh, I, I'm a real big fan of the HBA program for construction Careers that I mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also think there are other areas, and, and I'd like to get them into public safety, whether it's fire or police. I think we have to look at our seniors. We're building a new senior center, Mm -hmm. uh, which is terrific. And uh, we've got a lot of seniors that I feel that are neglected and left out. And so I think we need to reach out to them and have a stronger, you know, program with them. And finally, it's families. You know, people need to come here and they need to be able to feel they can use our parks. We haven't talked about that. And open spaces, TOPS is coming on the ballot uh, in November. Mm-hmm. I mean, in uh, in November, in April. In April. <laughs> it's the only ballot issue that we've got other than candidates. Mm-hmm. And uh, it keeps it at, at uh, 0.1%. So one cent on a, on a dollar will go for open space, 75% for open space, and then parks in terms of uh, maintenance. And we've got 15 parks we've promised people on the eastern and northern parts of town that we haven't built. So we've got to take care of families and provide them with places to take their children on the many beautiful days that we have. So there's a lot to be done uh, in in this new campaign. I think it's pretty exciting. Uh, When you do have a mayor that's term limited, it kind of opens the floodgates. And now we've got 12 candidates that have said that they think they can do things a little bit better or differently. Mm -hmm. So, and I feel the same way. I think because I've been deeply involved with both utilities and city government now for eight years, my spin-up time is going to be minimal. Mm-hmm. I know all of the directors personally. And, uh, you know, I walk back and forth between the city administration building and city hall every day. And I think I'm the guy to do it. All right. Thank you, Tom. We appreciate your time. You're welcome. Uh, you've been watching or listening to a joint podcast effort by 6035 Media and the League of Women Voters of the Pikes Peak Region. Be sure to follow Making Democracy Work and check out lwvppr.org for more information regarding our candidate forums in March. And check in with 6035 Vote to make sure your vote is an informed one. This podcast is produced by Dave Gardner, video directed by Nick Raven. I'm Brian Grossman, executive editor. And I'm Shelley Roars, spokesperson for the League of Women Voters at the Pikes Peak region. See you next time. Hi, I'm Dave Gardner. And I'm Nick Raven. We're the podcast producers here at 6035 Media. 6035 Vote is just one of a growing family of hyperlocal podcasts that we're creating. And these are for you, someone who wants to engage fully in your community. We've got the 6035, which is a quick, lively recap of the top news stories of the week. It's my favorite. It's really great and often funny. I love having you as a guest, actually. I do, too. And then we have Hot Takes and Stream Breaks, which is a potpourri of news and commentary about movies, gaming, TV, streaming, and just so much more. It's for youthful heart and you know, that could be anyone, really. Yeah, I'm surprised I even really enjoy it because Nick hosts that and uh, he's, he's witty. Well, and the cool thing is that you can watch both of these podcasts on YouTube. Or you can listen to them on the go in your favorite podcast app. And there's a couple more, uh, but you can also visit 6035media.org slash podcast to see them, browse them, sample them. And then subscribe to the ones that you like. And then subscribe to this YouTube channel. Yeah. And if you really love it all, like we do, uh, you Which can just you can just subscribe to the sixty thirty five podcast network podcast, which is a conglomeration of all the episodes, all the brilliance and humor that emanates from the studio. Absolutely, and there's a lot of it. So like and subscribe today, and go listen to them all or watch them. What he said. Good. Thanks. Got it. That wasn't so painful.